Lead Like the Lord. That's the title for the Heritage Christian Leadership Institute annual church leadership workshop. This will take place March the 12th and is hosted on the campus of Heritage Christian University and that is located on Hilton Drive in Florence, Alabama. The first session starts at 9 a.m. and the last discussion group will end at 2 p.m. We have special discussion groups for ladies as well as men. I will be one of the keynote speakers addressing the topic Lead Like the Lord and also be doing a class on conflict resolution. The other speakers include Terry Wallace, Rosemary Snodgrass, Caleb Sampson, Chad Lamman, and Kirk Brothers. After the day ends, Dr. Kirk Brothers will be signing his new book, Lead Like the Lord. Lunch is provided, so all attendees please register so we can have a head count for lunch. Email Melissa McFerrin at presoffice at hcu.edu. That is pres, P-R-E-S, office at hcu.edu. Heritage Christian University and the Heritage Christian Leadership Institute is a sponsor of Keeping Up With Jones, the Lonnie Jones podcast adventure. Keeping Up With Jones, the Lonnie Jones podcast adventure is sponsored by SJNL General Contractors. SJNL General Contractors is licensed in both Alabama and Tennessee. This family-owned business provides mass grading, storm drainage, sewer and concrete improvement, asphalt paving, erosion control, demolition, and heavy hauling. If you're in need of any of these services, you can contact them at 931-433-4660. That is 931-433-4660. If you'd like to be employed by this family-owned company, three W's and a dot, sjnl.com, www.sjnl.com. I drove to Searcy, Arkansas in the fall of 1981. I was driving a 1968 Chevrolet Impala named Westwind that had neither air conditioning nor radio. This was way before the times of cell phones and GPSs. So if you went from Oxford, Alabama to Searcy, Arkansas, you either had to have a map or a friend. Well, I had a guy named Jamie Horn. Uh, Jamie was from Lineville. My grandparents lived in Lineville. We went to church with them when we went to church in Lineville. And I had fished, grown up fishing in his dad's catfish pond. And Jamie was a student at Harding. And when it became known that I was going to go, he said, hey, you can follow me out there. And so I left my home in Oxford, Alabama for an eight and a half hour drive to Searcy, Arkansas. Now, once I got to Harding, Jamie was already a student there and he was established. I don't remember now if he was a sophomore or a junior. But when we got to campus, Jamie had a network of friends. And I wasn't a part of that. Now, then uh, Jamie didn't take me out there to adopt me. It's just that that happens on college campuses. And here I was, eight and a half hours away from home. And I didn't know anybody on campus, and and nobody on campus certainly knew me. Uh, 
I had left. I had made the, the decision in the middle of the summer not to go to Faulkner and not to go to Jacksonville State and to end up going out to Harding on, on the advice of my brother. And I'd made kind of this impromptu decision. And to tell you the truth, as I was going to Arkansas, my acceptance papers were going to Alabama. And I arrived on campus and didn't even have a room. They didn't know I was coming. And we finally worked it all out where they realized that I was actually supposed to be there. I got put in a single room, grad dorm, grad singles. And and I didn't even have a roommate. I knew nobody on this campus. It was the first time in a long time that nobody knew who Lonnie Lonzo Jones was. And they didn't know. They didn't care. Harding's a unique place with a lot of talented and cool people. But I was there by myself. And I began to try to establish some networks of friends. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm not exactly shy, and sometimes I'm louder than I need to be. So it wasn't a, wasn't a big deal to, to start making some friends. But I, I learned about this thing on campus known as social clubs. Now, a social club at a private Christian school is the private Christian school version of a frat. But there's not a frat house, and there's not a place that they all gather. You live in your dorm, and and then you come together with these guys in your club, and you do service projects, and you do competitions. We had club sports, and and there was this one particular group of guys that, that I saw on campus when it came time to talk about pledging a club and I liked the way they presented themselves and I enjoyed the club devotionals that I went to and enjoyed the hiking and the activities and I decided that if I could get into the club uh, I would get in and they offered me a bid that's the the way the clubs work you sit in your dorm on the night that the clubs hand out their bids and of all the people who've attended their activities somebody comes by and gives you a bid for the club and then you pledge the club then you go through a an initiation period the the club that i wanted to join was called king's men now, i haven't been back to harding on campus for any campus activity since i graduated in 85 i've been back and done a couple of weddings and one summer camp but but never on campus campus. I've never spoken in chapel back at Harding. I've never been part of their lectureships. It's just a relationship that didn't continue to, to, to grow after I graduated. But at this particular time, King's Men was a solid club. And the idea of, of King's Men was just that. We were men who belonged to the king. On, on the, the shoulder of their jerseys, was a crown of thorns with a cross stuck through it. I like that symbolism. I like that idea. I like that as a logo. And I want to be part of these dudes. And then they recruited me. Well, now, when you're a pledge at a, at a club, you're basically being initiated. And you're basically being hazed most of the time. Uh, because of whatever the tradition is in the club, the, the king's men were... We're on fire for the Lord, so we, we had to wear these plastic fire helmets. And you guarded your fire helmet with your life. Nobody could get your fire helmet. Um, you, you protected that. Uh, if you were a particularly bad pledge because of the whole fireman theme, you had to be the burn victim and wear a mask for part of the day. <laughs> Several nights during pledge week, 
we would have to put on trench coats, our fire helmets, a section of water hose, and a, and take it to this big net. And we would walk around the front lawn campus after dark and uh, try to find couples creating too much heat. <laughs> and I've been guilty of standing uh, in that front lawn uh, underneath those ancient oak trees and uh, telling someone good night. And, and instead of just telling them good night, it turned into a doctoral dissertation. But anyway, we would creep through and we would find a couple who was smooching and we would decide that the heat factor was higher than it needed to be. And someone had a fire helmet on with a blinking light. And we would run up to these people and try to get the girl to abandon the guy and jump into our net and save her from the ensuing flames. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. And we had a lot more jumpers than you'd think. Uh, but the other thing that they made us do as pledges was a lot of push-ups. One of the guys in the club was named Pete Colligan, and Pete was a reserve Marine. And Pete was enamored with push-ups. And so if the pledges did something stupid or we didn't have an answer for uh, one of our pledge questions or we failed to do something right, you'd get to do push-ups. Well, I remember being the arrogant, cocky 18-year-old that I was. And one of these guys was, all right, pledge, give me 10 push-ups. And I'd look him dead in the eye and go, which arm, sir? Well, that earned me some extra time. And so they brought me to football practice. Kingsmen played in the small club sports. And it was clubs with, you know, less than this number of people. And they were super competitive in athletics. While I was there, our team won the all-sports trophy and several championships. I didn't play organized sports in school. And so here I was way out of my element. I played Sunday afternoon football and pick up games with my friends and stuff. And I could throw a football pretty good. And my brother was an exceptional receiver. And we had a lot of fun playing, you know, pick up games. But I never played any organized ball. And so here I was drafted by this uh, club to attend one of their football practices and for all practical purposes be one of their blocking dummies. We were the scout team. We were the opposing force. Well, I had no idea that I had any acumen for football. I think it was the violence that appealed to me. Uh, the idea behind uh, club sports and, and, and football on campus for the, the clubs w was flag football. But it was full contact flag football. It, it was like this mixture of rugby. And, and I mean, it was full contact off the line within five yards of scrimmage and nobody's wearing any pads. But once you got through the line and got to the ball carrier, you just had to pull his flag. You couldn't murder him, but I liked it. It appealed to me. And, and for whatever reason, my five foot four, 145 pound frame was suited to this because I was fast. I was quick. And so I began to play defensive end against the starting team and give them some good reps in practice. And then they had some guys that would be the scout team against our defensive guys. And it was just really, really pretty cool. In, in my wildest dreams, I was shocked when the guy that was in charge of our athletics said, hey, Lonnie, you're going to be the starting defensive end for our club this year. I'm a no-name, nobody freshman, and, and I've been given a starting position on this football team. Now, our defensive end's contained. I'm sorry. 
our defensive ends did not contain. We were supposed to be in the backfield every single play. He, he said, it, it's it's ridiculous for you guys to try to sweep around the corners and then run stuff down the middle. You go through the middle every single time. If they keep you from getting through the middle, you block the middle anyway. They can't come down. If they don't keep you out, you're in the backfield and you're marauding the quarterback every single down, every single play. And I had the reflexes and the speed and I guess the tenacity to do that. And, and and they took a position away from an upperclassman and gave it to me. The the upperclassman, as as I remember it, was a guy named Ken Hutchinson. And and Hutch was from Iowa. And Hutch was a, was an amazing athlete. He was actually a, a wrestler from Iowa. And we would, would, you know, do these roughhouse things that, that boys do at college, and we'd play this game called takedown. And you just, you know, meet in the middle of a room or in the middle of the hallway, and uh, the first guy to score a takedown won the thing, and you, you go to the next guy. If I meet Ken Hutchinson today and take him off his feet, it will be the first time ever I've corrupted his balance. I was unprepared we knew wrestlers in, in our high school, and we had some guys from our high school that won some state championships. But this was a different animal. This was an Iowa-trained wrestler, you know, a la Matt Hughes uh, from Iowa. And this guy was phenomenal. And then all of a sudden, Ken's not going to be the defensive end, and, and Lonnie is. I was sitting in my dorm doing something. There weren't any computers, so I was probably drawing and somebody knocks on my door, and I, I open the door, and there stands Ken Hutchinson. And I was 18 years old, and in my brief experience with life, I understood about ego. I'd had trouble with guys in school because of their ego. People worried about grades and class rankings and who drove what car and who dated what girl and I even had trouble because some of the girls that, that I dated other guys wanted to date and even had some trouble from a girl I didn't date and then she she gave me a really really hard time almost ruined my last year of youth ministry because of her attitude and and and, and the volatility of, of, of her mood so I was prepared for this guy who had been the starting defensive end when he showed up at my dorm. I, I was prepared for confrontation. And then he said, I think you'll be more successful as a defensive end if you wear these. And he gave me his cleats. Now, you, you've got to understand about me as a college student, I had a pair of tennis shoes. And the shoes I played football in were the shoes I wore to class. And the shoes I wore to class and the shoes I played football in were the shoes I went running in when the the our, our physical ed class made us jog. I had two pairs of shoes. I had a pair of dress shoes I wore at church, and I had those tennis shoes, and that was all I had. I couldn't afford anything else. And this guy who had lost his starting position on the team had enough insight to know that the shoes I was practicing in was the shoes I was going to play in. And he gave me a pair of cleats. And he gave me his cleats. 
Oh, I learned a lot at Harding University. There were men there who had doctor's degrees in, in Greek. There were men there who had doctorates in New Testament theology. Of course, everybody who teaches at a university has a doctorate in something. But I learned way more about servant leadership. And I've always seen myself as a leader. But I learned how to be a servant. From guys like Ken Hutchinson who'd walk up to you and say, hey, you've got my spot on the team, and so if you're more successful, our team will be more successful. And in order for you to be more successful, you'll probably do well wearing these. And not only had he given up his spot, but he gave up his shoes. I think of the biblical story where Jonathan is going to be superseded as the next king of Israel. His father is Saul, and he should be the next king. But David is chosen, and Jonathan takes this, this poor farm boy, and Jonathan gives him his belt, his warrior's belt, his sword and his bow and his tunic, because he knows that if David is successful, Israel will be successful. The, the the ability to give of yourself to help somebody else be successful is, is true leadership. And leadership is not what I can do. Leadership is what I can facilitate and help other people to accomplish and be successful doing. And that gift... The idea that this guy would say, I'm not worried about whose position it is, but since it's your position, I want you to succeed at it. I just read an article, and it quotes Mr. Saban, and his analysis of the loss of the national championship. He said, boiled down to three guys. He said, we had three guys that chose not to prepare. They weren't starters. They were on X string or Y string or whatever string they were on, and they were discontent about their lack of playing time, and they began to be complacent in executing their practice and knowing what their jobs were. And when the men got hurt and they had to step up and take their place, they had been so self-absorbed that their lack of dedication to executing their job on a scout team when it came time to play for the real team. Saban called these three guys out and said, you're the reason we lost because you didn't prepare to do the job and it was your time to do the job. You weren't prepared. Talk about selfish. And then talk about selfless. So that I give up something of mine because it is a resource or a tool or something that you can use to be successful. And and if I can be vicariously successful, if if if, if what I can do in your life can help you be successful, then I can celebrate that because I've been a contributor. I've given something to you. 
that you couldn't do for yourself. But once someone gives you a gift like that, you understand the true meaning of leadership. You understand the true meaning of service. And you understand the true meaning of servant leadership. I know you've heard the phrase, if you walk a mile in somebody's shoes. <laughs> well, what if what if you played a game? What if you held a position? What if you did a job wearing somebody else's shoes? You see, as a servant leader, Ken Hutchison put himself in my shoes. And he said, if I had that position and had to play it in tennis shoes, what would it be like? And so because he put himself in my shoes, he ended up putting me in, 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 in his shoes. Keeping up with Jones, the Lonnie Jones podcast adventure is sponsored by us. What? We sponsor ourselves? Is that even legal? Check us out on Amazon. You can have access to the titles of Pedagogue, the youth ministry book by Lonnie Jones. Cognitive Spiritual Development, a Christ-centered approach to spiritual self-esteem. Grappling with Life, Controlling Your Inside Space, a small essay using the principles of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu to talk about psychological and emotional self-defense. If I Were a Mouse, a children's book written and illustrated by Lonnie Jones. And then The Selfish Reel, a very short story about a decision. Also, you can check out our YouTube channel to see archived lessons and presentations from across the country, some videos with uh, rope tricks and knots. Don't forget to visit the uh, Facebook page, 550 Guys, to learn about the little rope men that we make and in, that we invented and that we make. And then be sure to click like, subscribe, and share. This is Keeping Up With Jones, the Lonnie Jones podcast adventure. Mm -hmm.